0: Thanks, Chris. And uh, yeah, a bit of a sad note this week. It's been only a couple of days. It has been very sad. Um, Obviously, uh, Meatloaf has passed away and you're a pretty big fan of Meatloaf, aren't you? And I think
1: I've always been a fan of Meatloaf. Mm. And you kind of go, oh yeah, Meatloaf. And then you get off and then you go back and you go, oh yeah, Meatloaf's great. And then he, he brings out some songs that aren't great. And you go, oh, yeah, meatloaf. Or does a
0: live performance at the NRL and well,
1: it's not great. Well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> I, I will. I can't not mention that.
0: Yeah, no, exactly.
1: Um, but, yeah, when it all came down to it, it was kind of like the f- – I've mentioned it before on this podcast last year, in season one. Yeah. The very first album I bought with my own money was Bad Out of Hell. Oh, really? Okay. A cassette at a record store at Devonport.
0: I you that, in Tassie.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was there for my, so because we had relatives there, I was there for my Christmas holidays and I had some money. And I was obsessed with that record. And I think the main thing was, I mean, first thing, if you knew nothing about it, was, I suppose the thing for me, like, I'll go back, go back a bit, was the first thing was you heard, you took the words right out of my mouth. It came out in 1977. And he was this big fat guy.
0: Yeah, 300 pounds, they
1: say. Yeah, he was huge. He lost a lot of weight in subsequent years. But when he came out, he was a big, big guy Mm. with long hair. And he didn't look like a rock star. No. He didn't sound like a rock star. But this song sounded absolutely huge. And Mm. I remember it was just played on the radio all the time. 1977, I'm... Uh, eight years old, going Mm -hmm. on nine. So, you know, 77, it's just AM radio. There's no FM. And you're hearing Meatloaf singing, You Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth. And then the next one was Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. And as a kid, I never liked slow ballad songs. I always liked big rock songs. But gee, I couldn't stop listening to Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. Oh, Oh, that, that song just had me.
0: Yeah.
1: And then, when I was allowed to go into the record stores to look at records, I was no longer looking going into toy stores. I was into record stores. And I, you know, the Kiss album covers in the 70s, they had great album covers. Mm, I did. You know, Alice Cooper had great covers, and, you know, David Bowie had amazing, and Kiss had amazing covers. And this bat out of hell the red cover with the motorbike coming out of the grave and the bat and the guy, the dead guy on the motorbike who looks nothing like meatloaf. And you just looked at this and went, this must be the greatest album ever recorded. It has to be. It looks so good. And the two songs I've heard are great. Mm. I think just, you heard it by osmosis because everyone kind of bought a copy whether on record or cassette, and I remember that hearing the opening chords of that first song, "Bat Out of Hell," which was just—it's three minutes that opening segment of the song, yeah—of the instrumental build up to yeah. the song, and it, it just like it was the most amazing thing. It was—it and I think even to this day, you could either go, "Oh, meatloaf songs are so long," or you just sit there and listen to it, and you think. This is incredible. Yeah. And yeah. as I grew older, I realized that a guy called Jim Steinman, who I loved as well, wrote all the songs because it had in Little Writing Down the Bottom songs by Jim Steinman. Yeah. The album was originally supposed to come out as Meatloaf and Jim Steinman.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. And they, the record company kind of didn't see how they could sell Meatloaf and they, they put Jim Steinman and Little Writing, in Little Writing down the bottom. But Steinman became his own thing as the years went on.
0: And a lot of that music was recorded or written originally for a rock version of Peter Pan in theatre, wasn't it? That's
1: correct. And yeah. there is... it All those songs, including ones from Meatloaf's follow-up Dead Ringer, Jim Steinman's solo album that he came out with, Bad For Good, and some of the songs from Bad Out Of Hell too, have all been reworked into a musical version of Bad Out Of Hell. Now? Yes, which oh, was okay. supposed to play in Australia last year it got delayed twice because of covid covid COVID. (laughs) and then but it's apparently coming next year and i'm going to go see it i've heard the because it's it's arranged the songs are in a different order Mm -hmm. you know it's not in the order as they were on the album steinman and the show writer arranged everything in, in such a way but um, Meatloaf himself was such a theatrical performer. He was. He was. Yeah. And as a kid, and as I have grown to learn, and as you have just discovered, Bad Out of Hell was massive in Australia.
0: Yeah, it was, actually. Um, when you texted me the other day after I mentioned to you, had you heard about Meatloaf passing away, you mm. said to me in a text that he has, that album is the biggest selling album in Australia. Mm-hmm. I questioned that. You and did. I went and looked because I just could not believe that someone who's an international artist, especially someone who hasn't really done anything for such a long time, mm. um, had more sales in our own country than Whispering Jack or ACDC. Or ACDC! Yeah. And I went and looked at it, and it was right twenty five million. Um, oh, no, twenty five.
1: Sorry, two point five million or something like whatever that.
0: Whatever it was, platinum.
1: Oh yeah, twenty five times platinum. platinum yep. Yeah.
0: And John Farnham, Whispering Jack, was twenty four. Mm-hmm. And that really blew me away. And that was 1977 compared to 19... What year did Whispering Jacket 86. 86. 86, mm. So it's really shocked, shocked me that Australia took hold of Meatloaf. And even Jim Steinman said in the um, show I watched the other day, um, it took about a year for Americans to get onto
1: it. Yeah, the, the, and it seemed to be around forever. Music was a bit like that back in those days. It's so quick now. Everything, mm. everything is, is over... Almost as soon as it starts. Yeah. But um, yeah, an album like "Bat Out of Hell," which only had nine songs on it, no, seven songs, seven songs on it. Uh, all of them, absolute killer. You know, we've talked yeah. about Thriller and um, Def Leppard's Hysteria, and but "Bat Out of Hell" was just this almost perfectly constructed record. Yeah. But it was also, um, how would I put it? you couldn't say it was influential because who else came out with that type of record? No one. It was like, I wonder if people actually sat there and went, Oh, we'll never copy that. And And
0: that's why you look at the, um, classic albums show. mm. They, they went to so many record companies and everyone was basically saying, no, no one wants to listen to this.
1: Apparently, um, what's his name? The, the, Clive Davis, the very famous record company guy. You know, he he's the guy who basically told Santana, "Here, record with different singers, make it sound very contemporary," and came out with Supernatural, which sold bucket loads of Peach. records too. Um, they when they went to him, he said to them, "This is not rock and roll. You have no idea what rock and roll sounds like." Mm. And he gave them money to go into the record store at the bottom of the building, and go buy some rock and roll records and listen. Yeah. Everyone said it was theatre.
0: Yeah.
1: And because the way they tried to sell the record too, well, they didn't make a demo tape.
0: No, you sang they, it
1: live. They sang it live. They went to the record companies. It was Meatloaf, Ellen Foley singing and Jim, Jim Steinman Steinem. on piano and played it live to them. <laughs> Can you imagine just how everyone just kind of went? You get, <laughs> even the fact that
0: you know Meatloaf walks into the room and starts singing, like you said before, he's a big mm. guy. He's not the um, most attractive front person. No, but he just did it with his voice. Yep, and, and I were, still can't believe they said no to him originally. But apparently, they were like creating record companies just to say no. It was a joke. <laughs> I know, they was a had joke. so many uh, no's. But they, yeah, it was They literally funny.
1: they they and it wasn't it wasn't until um Todd Rundgren who produced the record he financed it. And, yeah, yeah. Because he believed that he had a deal with Warner Brothers Records, and he believed that um. He they would distribute it, and even they went at the time once the album was completed. Yeah, the album was completed, and still no one would release no one, it. Yeah. It was, wasn't until some guy I've heard of him, um, Joe Papp, his name from Cleveland Records. And a lot of these are old record companies that don't exist anymore because yeah. they've all been been bought up, and there's literally only three record companies now, to be honest. Um, they released they heard it, and they released it and it went did all right in america for a while but in australia we hooked onto it straight away straight away
0: yeah
1: it makes me also wonder why yeah I know what why, what were we doing in this it's country funny, just
0: looking back at the sales <laughs> mm. even michael jackson thriller only had 16 times platinum. In Australia. In Australia. But
1: bad out of hell. It's like, because when Meatloaf died, I mean like Jim Steinman died and a lot of artists are dying now and Charlie Watts died and people went, oh yeah, what a great drummer. But the outpouring of people on Meatloaf has been phenomenal.
0: I've been talking to people all week about it and they've been mentioning me, you know, i posted something on our Instagram about it Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I'm not the hugest fan of Meatloaf, but you'd have to love his songs for what he did and um, because I'm a metal fan, there is that kind of element to it. This, you're it's theatrical, correct. Theatrical, but it's got the guitars and the music of mm. it, and his singing just justifies both styles. It did,
1: it did appeal to a metal crowd, yeah, didn't it, did. it? And it, it did. still does. It appeals to this. Yeah, you're right. The big over blunt the the big arrangements yeah. and yeah, you know, you, and you probably do hear Bad Out of Hell and probably think, well, I can hear where James Hetfield's getting all those long, intricate mm. songs that. Metallica and all those um, power metal bands from yep. Europe—they yep. definitely were listening to Bad Out of Hell because it was huge in England too. I think it was the—it stayed in the English charts for over eight hundred weeks. It was oh the longest goodness. run of. and This is how big Meatloaf was. You know, we we don't. I think everyone's starting to see it now. Yep. Not until someone dies that you look back on their career and you think, "Oh wow," you realize. But what a debut. I mean, it wasn't technically his debut. He'd brought out an album before that with a guy called Stony, called Meat Life and Stony. Oh, did he? Did yeah, it was just all bluesy soul sort of numbers. Okay. But it was when he hooked up with Jim Steinman that they went. Well, he was auditioning for a theatre show. Yep. And he walked in and auditioned, and Jim Steinman was like,
0: that's who I need to sing my song, <laughs> what was the, song? the way I
1: sing. I think the song he sang was, I Wish I Was As Heavy As Jesus. <laughs> and Jim Steinman apparently said to him, you're you are not heavier than Jesus, you're heavier than two Jesuses. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Body Jim was one of those little sardonic, you know, things. But I love the um the whole thing of um like Todd Rundgren, when you watch that classic albums, Todd Rundgren, who's very sarcastic, uh, just kept saying to him these songs are so long. And every all these things I read about the making of that record, they said Todd just sat at the desk the whole time going, these songs are so long. Yeah. And what is it they said about Bad Out of Hell? It was seven minutes into the song. And it's like, oh, now you want to get, with this song still going, You want to, the guy's dead, and now you want to keep going. Is that with the motorbike? Correct? Yeah. He, oh, what about the motorbike thing when he's. guitar? Oh, no, there's a
0: solo on the guitar. It's pretty amazing. It was
1: really amazing was the way he did good. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just sort of plugged it in, and went right, hey, let's go, and just did that solo. And if you hear that all in one track, it just—it's
0: it's a guitar sound. It's a guitar playing a motorbike sound, and all of a sudden it goes into a lead without a break, without a break. So obviously the guitar player knew what he was doing. That was tied himself, yeah, Todd just, Rundgren, to be able to do the the sound of a motorbike. Mm. No one would pick that listening to the album that it wasn't actually a motorbike.
1: No, I remember when I was a kid, it's I was like, it, oh, they? I thought, oh, they've yeah. got the motorbike sound effects, but yeah. it was a guitar.
0: And, yeah, it just kept going and going and going. I know.
1: Songs. It was just It was, just something it was else. so
0: entertaining. It's
1: like Bohemian Rhapsody in a sense. Yeah, but I mean that's a, entertaining. Yeah, yeah, it was a similar sort. Of, I suppose when you mm. think, because Bohemian Rhapsody was such a hit, so when Bad Out of Hell came out, it probably just didn't sound so weird. Oh, well, maybe. We already yeah. had Queen, who were doing big, bombastic songs, but it was the length of the songs on Bad Out of Hell.
0: Yeah.
1: It was the... Absolutely, I remember reading, listening to the album the first time in in its entirety, and I'll give you an indication how long the album came out. I bought that tape in December nineteen seventy nine. so that was two years after the album came out, and I still went into the record store and bought it. We yeah. were still listening to it yeah. two and a half years after the album came out. So, you know, it showed the long the the longevity that that song that that album had. But uh, I remember the last album, the last cut on the album, um, for crying out loud, um, I remember it goes for about uh, nine minutes and it's in three parts. I just remember the first verse went for about four and a half, five minutes or so, almost three minutes and it, and it comes out this low and then it starts up again. I'm thinking, it keeps going. <laughs> this song just keeps going. <laughs> you're waiting for it to stop. I was you? waiting for it to stop so I could finish the album and probably go to bed because I was tired because I was only a kid. And I'm like, it keeps going. It doesn't going. stop.
0: It doesn't stop. Well, I so, think also when you're saying about the theatrical side of it, Alice Cooper's very that way too. And then Kiss were around too doing the same mm, kind of theatrical thing. So it kind of probably wasn't scaring people off that much anymore. That's why he probably stayed
1: in the charts for a while. I, Meatloaf didn't have a stage show as such. Oh, he right, okay. was, he was the show. He was the show, yeah, yeah, so to speak. And you probably saw on that classic albums one. They said this three hundred pound yeah. rock, Pavarotti type rock guy <laughs> falling, and like he he ruined his voice. Yeah, he absolutely he wasn't a trained singer. He was a, very much an actor. Hmm. He started out as an actor He's who defeated. could sing. How many movies are over hundred or something? Oh, yeah, Fight Club. Yeah. Oh, he was Bob Paulson. and he was so good in Fight Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, I was watching a bit the other day from um, the Tenacious D movie and the best bit of the film, which he's in at the start where he plays the religious dad.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah That's you got. from you the got a... Twisted Sister.
1: Um... No, no, no. He's um, singing to the kid who's the young Jack Black. Oh, he's like, you've got to okay, worship right. the Lord when you're in my home. And it's really well done. I thought it was taking off that Twisted Sister song. Oh, and then the kid closes he the can't. door and there's Ronnie Dio there. And yeah. Dio then says, you know, you've got to go and rock and... Don't forget. But I thought that was wonderful. But Meatloaf, and I think that he, had, he was this very expressive mm. guy on stage. And, um, you know, you, you, you sort of... I think we we tended to forget that Meatloaf was primarily an actor and a performer mm. who, could, who could sing. He had a great voice. But as he got older, unfortunately, his voice wasn't that good. He never looked after it very well. You know, for no. a guy who was a singer... Like, by the time they finished with Bad Out of Hell and he went to record the second album, he didn't have a voice.
0: No. And he was uh, singing so much. Like, six times a week, Mm. they were playing as much as they could to get the name out there.
1: Well, they toured everywhere.
0: Yeah. So six times a week where Mm. most operatic singers would see Priest two.
1: Yep times a week yeah Meatloaf they were doing six shows a week so
0: he did it to make sure that he was known and get the album out but then unfortunately it ruined his voice for really the last two albums
1: mm. for the rest of his life he, yeah. you hear it on the second album Dead Ringer he's singing in a completely different key and a different style mm. and you can hear all oh, that that's not quite there the voice yeah. he got it back a little bit but yeah the he, 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 he did lose it yeah. you know in, in that regard but um I have had, I probably another thing that hooked me on Bad Out of Hell was um, yeah, years later I think in the early eighties uh, some reason on the ABC during summer they were playing this uh, old grey whistle test which was a live show coming out of um, England okay. they would and some bands were going you see some really interesting stuff on the old grey whistle test and Meatloaf sang Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Mm-hmm with um carla devito playing because they said they changed it to dark haired girl yeah it looked better than ellen foley who had long straight blonde hair you know who was
0: actually on the recording who was
1: on the recording ellen foley was on the recording carla devito did it live yeah and um they did paradise and it was so are you watching it and it was so theatrical because they they started doing the makeout scene for real on stage (laughs) He has got his tongue right down her throat and his hands are all over her, groping her. I saw that. And she's like, you know, and and so when she does the stop right there, he's like out of breath. He's like... And, and, yeah, and I remember watching this on TV and thinking, wow, <laughs> I've seen people at karaoke do Paradise by the Dashboard Light and you think, nah, you, you, unless you're doing what me like... It was funny. And Carla De Vito would do it. Was, it it just doesn't have that effect. It was really even back mm. then. I was just like, "Wow!" And if you look at it on YouTube, you'll find it on YouTube. Yeah. It's such, and it'll give you a good indication of what the show, what Meatloaf really was about. Yeah. the whole thing. I and mean, then, of course, he had a few. After that, he had to declare bankruptcy. They didn't oh, make really? a lot of money, even though Bad Out of Hell sold. Well, they reckon they're talking figures of 50 million around the world. They reckon they made pennies from it. They they all ended up broke, which is unfortunately the music business, how it works for a lot of them. 43
0: million copies they sold
1: worldwide. Jeez. Down the hill. And as what I read yesterday, the album sales are soaring at the yeah. moment and the streaming is soaring. And you said...
0: Yeah, well, coming, I think... I, 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 it was, of I Do Anything is, for Love, probably. I think it was, yeah. Number yeah. four in um, UK at the moment. Um, I think it reached number eight originally.
1: And now it's number four in the now, UK.
0: I think, I'm not sure in the title though, but yeah, I'm pretty sure
1: it was that one. Was probably that one. Well, that one was kind of like the big comeback. He brought out a few records in the 80s, which didn't do a lot, but mm. it was when he re-teamed with Jim Steinman for Bad Out of Hell 2 and 93. And at that time, I've got to remember, I was right into Nirvana. I was into all the alternative music. So uh, by that stage, I'm like, oh, meat Life." I was yeah. a bit like that. Oh, yeah. meat Life. But that song came out and it went number one. Mm. It was all of a sudden, everyone went, We love Meatloaf again. Yeah. And I remember watching it thinking, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Jeez, I like Jim Steinman.
0: (laughs) And then he he wasn't part of number three, was he, Jim Steinman?
1: He wrote some songs. Yeah, he wrote some songs, but him and and Meatloaf feuded a lot. They feuded a lot, and they ended up, there was a lawsuit over who owned the trademark of Bat Out of Hell.
0: Right,
1: okay. Yeah, cuz I think you know Jim was like, "Well, I wrote it, I created it," but Meat was like, "But if it wasn't for me, it wouldn't be anything." It right? wouldn't be anything. They came to an understanding, but they did come out with a record and last one together called Braver Than We Are. I uh, don't listen to it it'll honestly, it'll tarnish any good feelings you have about Jim Steinman and Meatloaf together. Is that Bad Out of Hell 3? No, Bad Out of Hell 3 is called The Monster Is Loose. They came out with one in 2016. It's Meatloaf's last record, Braver Than We Were. Don't listen to it. I'll have to say it. It will tarnish anything. Meatloaf's voice is shot, and the songs are just not. And
0: that's Jim Steinman.
1: Yeah, they're just not there. Mind you, it's got its fans. You get online, and I found a lot of people love Braver Than We Are, but I listened to it, and I actually found it Mm. unlistenable which kind of brings me to because of Meatloaf with his voice. I, a lot of people haven't brought this up, and I'll, I'll give them credit, but Meatloaf is rather famous, unfortunately, in Australia too, because I think we were all excited about the AFL grand final when we heard Meatloaf was going to perform there. Mm. Knowing how big Bat Out of Hell is, I thought this was going to be something. And he came out giving a very... What well, could only be called an odd or strange performance. Some people said it's downright terrible. I remember watching it thinking I don't know what's he doing? I'm not quite sure. Yeah. He was off key out of not it was almost like his his um hearing, hearing stuff or the oh, monitors they, he had in his ears weren't working and weren't he was working. he couldn't hear the he couldn't hear his backing music or something. It was almost like he he was really out of whack with his band or, or something. And many people have lampooned him and blasted him and said it was the worst thing ever and all that sort of stuff. But the other day, I found online that tour. It was 2011, a concert from the Sydney Entertainment Centre. On that tour, he's killing it. Oh, really? He killed it. And I thought to myself, I think probably the sound was not fine. His voice wasn't great, but what we always forgot... Was Meatloaf was an actor and a performer, mm. and it was all this. He, he 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 wasn't. He doesn't sing the songs as you remember them. He didn't sing them as you remembered them. Like he gave a performance and probably did a different interpretation of each song, each song yeah. every time. Like Eddie Van Halen and his guitar solos. Yeah, didn't play the same thing. I think Meatloaf never did the same performance twice. Mm. Just got that feeling watching this live video because I thought, well this is that same tour yeah. yeah. and he's they're killing he's it well. him and his band absolutely killed it on stage sure he didn't move around a lot but he had the you know like people have said you know he did the hands and the and the wiping of the brow and all that sort of stuff you know and he, he, he did it all like this big passionate sort of show and yeah he he certainly he, he certainly um uh, was was something else and i mm-hmm. oh, look i I'll take my hat off to meatloaf in, in every way imaginable. And it just that lovely memory of um, my first album I ever bought. And that's probably why I had this, I mean, apart from the family thing, that's probably why I've always had this thing about Tasmania. Because really. that's where I bought that, you know, oh, yeah. and you know, I, I went and listened to it and stuff like that. You're I, only one
0: town away from me, that's why I mean. that was I know. six or
1: seven. I know. would have ridden my push bike over and say, "Hi, hey, Chris. <laughs> you don't know me, but listen to this. One day we're going to be talking about this. I can tell you this right now, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> I, look, I never saw Meatloaf live either. Um, no, me neither. kind of wish I had, probably a bit earlier. I would have been... Imagine going to see him in 78 with that.
0: No. <laughs> you couldn't imagine it in, in his career that time would have been the best.
1: That would have been the best, wouldn't it? That
0: would have been the highlight. That
1: Australian tour when they were fresh, when they were hungry, and they were excited. And yeah. that, and the. And the they couldn't do anything
0: wrong, really.
1: And that band was really tight. You know, as I said, that old grey whistle test. Mm. That that band, which they called the Neverland Express, because they were playing that every that night. That was the name
0: of the um the play they were writing for? wasn't
1: it? Neverland. Yeah, that's Neverland. right. Yeah, Neverland. That's that's exactly <laughs> that's right. That's so. That's yeah. So Jim Jim Steinman, um, and I I have this theory. This, this my my little theory about meat is um. You know they say sometimes there's old couples, and if one of them dies, then like a year later the other one dies. Mm-hmm. You have a broken heart. Uh, maybe Jim died, yeah. and less than a year later Meatloaf died. Did Meatloaf have a broken heart? Did Jim's death break him? Because there's a Rolling Stone interview where Meatloaf's really like starts crying during the interview. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, he starts crying. So it's like. I wonder if he died of a. But they broken. were speaking on speaking
0: terms again, weren't they? Oh
1: yes, yeah. yeah they yeah. were definitely. I think they had one of those. Yeah, you know. I hate you. We're best friends. Yeah. I can't live without you. Yeah, depending yeah. on where
0: the moon was positioned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think they had all that. So you know, valet meat me life. You know, was just one of the biggest, if not, what do you have, the biggest guy in rock and roll, and <laughs> definitely a you know. I think we forget just what a superstar he is, and uh, Scott Ian's father in law, too. Is he? Did you know that? No. Is he really? Yeah. Wow. There you go. Because, yeah, Scott Ian's a fan of everybody. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: Like, um, when me and my brother were discussing, because who's he got tattooed? Malcolm Young. He's got a Malcolm Young Mm tattoo on him. Plus, he loves Kiss. Yep. Yeah, and his father in law is Meatloaf.
0: There you go. Yeah, Scott
1: Ian's married to Meatloaf's stepdaughter, Pearl. Right. Yeah. Who sang up for Meatloaf on a few of the tours and stuff like that? So yeah, keep it in the family, <laughs> eh? It's, crazy it's like know, Jimmy that. Barnes and like everyone. Yeah. Oh, they're all in musicians and stuff like that. Yeah, Imagine is. in this country when Jimmy Barnes dies. Oh. or John Farnham. Yeah, I tell you what, you know, we're not getting any younger now. It was anyway, bad enough when Michael Hutchins passed away. Imagine if that was, like, in the year 2022. Oh, jeez. Because you think about it. I remember we always would discuss that when I was working at um, working at Triple M. It was always that, jeez, um, you know, when someone would die, it was always, a, you know, try and get something on the air. But we're always like, imagine if Jimmy Barnes dies. Mm. What, what What? are we going to do that day? Well, what, what's the programming going to be? Because all people would want to hear all day would be Cold Chisel and Jimmy Barnes songs. Yeah. You know.
0: I know. And yeah. yesterday, speaking of uh, people passing away, it was Eddie Van Halen's birthday yesterday. I saw you put a little of, tribute uh, there. 26th of January. He would have been 67. Yeah. So
1: he's been... I saw you put a little tribute there, Chris. Yeah, well... Still, i see it gets you. He's my hero. He was your hero.
0: Still is. hmm So, yeah, sad day for that. But Yeah.
1: Um, Gosh, it's funny how we... We should be celebrating. I mean, I, I like to look at it as a celebration.
0: Well, that's what I've been doing. I've been yeah. listening to Meatloaf all week.
1: Yeah, yeah well, and I'm, even I'm, during
0: "Bad Out of Hell," I was driving my work truck, and here I am listening to that, and I'm getting chills over myself. I you so, know, <laughs> it's just, I'm just like, wow, this is amazing."
1: Funnily enough, I've been listening to the second one, "Bad Out of Hell," too. Oh, really? Oh, I really love the big, full 12-minute version of "I'd Do Anything for Love."
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I love the. It's so stupidly huge, and you do listen to it because the version you hear on the radio is the edited six-minute version, and you think to yourself. Why? Why does it need sixteen bars at the front start of it when it could only have used four? four. <laughs> well, what did Todd Rundgren say in the classic "Apparently Paradise by the Dashboard Light"? They had that whole thing of "We're going to go all the way," and was, and he was a big Broadway yeah. all the way, all the way, keep going. Go. going, and dip, dip, dip. four lines, <laughs> go all the way tonight. <laughs> this song's too well, long. Say <laughs> it four
0: times only, not yeah. sixteen,
1: yeah, not sixteen times. <laughs> Yeah, four times. The song's long enough. Just no one, none of these will ever get played on radio. Yeah. So, anyway, Valet Meatloaf, Valet and Jim Steinman, you together, meet Eddie Van Halen. Happy birthday for what would have been your um 67th birthday. Yeah. Yeah, God, yeah too long. Uh, look, well, we've got a bit of time, Chris. Yes. I just want to mention about our um last... Last episode, mm-hmm. we were talking about the the gig at Fisho's, Fisherman's <laughs> Wharf. Nevada. Yeah, I got a bit of feedback from that episode from a friend of mine who said sent me a text. Remember we discussed yeah. and I said, there's all these people who live here on the Gold Coast, where Chris and I are, yep. who all say, yeah, I was there at that gig. Sure. Kev, who owns, owns, this place. owns this place. I was at the gig. You know people who said... I was at the gig. I yeah. know people who say, oh, I was at the gig. I worked at a radio station. People, oh, I was at the gig. It's like, and if you know
0: fish O's, Fishman's Wharf, it was a, not, it a, was, was a big, it was a big So venue. over time of moving here for me, hearing people talk about, how many people went to this thing? Yeah. Everybody <laughs> went to this thing, but I don't know how they fit it
1: all in. Well, a friend of mine who listened to the podcast, Malcolm, thank you. He texted me, he said, yeah, I was at that gig. <laughs> I texted him back and said, no, you weren't. And he said, yeah, it was, and he just—he said it was heaving. It was just like because mm. I think if we're looking at dates, yesterday was the anniversary, the thirtieth anniversary Australia of that Day. gig, Australia Day, nineteen ninety-two, and yet, um, yes, I think the Gold Coast came to a complete standstill as everyone reminisced. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he said he he turned up with a friend of his, who um, he lost at the gig.
0: Yeah, and back in those days, when you lost, you lost. Yeah, You don't have the phone to call and say, where are you yeah. on this spot? You just don't see him again for the rest of the day. He
1: didn't see him for the week. A week. He saw him a week later. <laughs>
0: That's the, the
1: good old days. Oh.
0: Which worked really well if you didn't like the person. You go, oh.
1: oh if you're just turning up at a show with somebody. Yeah. But yeah, nowadays you can just sort of go, I'm right behind you. Or you know, you can text them or say something. But yeah, so another friend of mine has said, he was there. He was there at that gig. He drove down from Brisbane because I remember the I've said the Brisbane gig sold out. It was at Festival Hall, mm-hmm. but obviously everyone took the everyone just made their way to fish shows and just decided. Let's see if we can get in. Let's see if we can get in. And luckily, the management and ownership went, "Come on in. Are you going to spend money on booze?" So we know the actual the the, the figure. Look, everyone speculates ten to sixteen
0: thousand. Like well, you,
1: yeah. Kev, Kev here said sixteen. Yeah. that's a lot. Yeah, that is a lot for a
0: place like this. Yeah, I, I even look,
1: 10s too many. I think 10s too many.
0: If, if look, I can't say Kevin was wrong because no, I can't. He was I, there.
1: He was there, and, and um, I believe he was. I reckon nine would be a <laughs> this Real place. Could, this place couldn't even hold. Yeah, two thousand. So. It's <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, but Malcolm did say it was uh, heaving, sweating, which is exactly how Kev described it it's, too, didn't it he? Was <laughs> it was packed. You were in the what did you say about buying a drink? You had to... You'd buy four. You'd buy four.
0: And hopefully you get it back to where you want to stand and drink them before they get spilt. But yeah, yes, you'd buy yeah. four at a time. By the time you start drinking, the, the fourth it's already warm. Yeah. But you just wouldn't get in the queue otherwise. That's you right. Get, you wouldn't get to the front. That's right. You never bought one. Yeah, you had top. to buy
1: four at a time. That's yeah. right. Just for yeah. yourself,
0: not for your friends and you. Yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah, <laughs> just, just for, for yourself. yourself. <laughs> you had to buy four drinks. Yeah. So anyway. But um, before we go, we yeah. have to do cool. Cool thing. Oh, Remember? That's right. Cool thing. Have you got something cool for the week? Oh, you go for it and I'll think of my cool thing. Okay,
0: so this week's cool thing for me. Oh, I like this. um, You might have seen the episode of Get On It where Dan mentioned a band called Jane's Addiction and an album called... Ritual de lo Habitual. Yes, that's the one. And he said in that um, episode, the last four songs changed his life. So I went home and I went to work the next day and I listened to... What was going to be those four songs? And the first song of those four was called Three Days. And I haven't got past three days yet. That song to me is amazing, it's so cool. And I was wondering why when I was... Because that came out in what year? 1990. Uh, 1990. So I listened to that kind of music back then, but I didn't listen to Jane's Addiction. And I was trying to figure out while I was listening to this, why haven't I have not heard this? I knew the song before that. Mm, um, been Caught Stealing. I've, been, I've heard that a few times. I saw it on radio all the time.
1: Yeah, that was the big single from the record. Yeah, yeah
0: but I didn't like it. So <laughs> I just wouldn't put... But I think me being a Metallica fan back then and influenced so much by Metallica... And watching the guys in Jane's Addiction, the way they dressed and the way they acted, mm-hmm. I just went not interested. Mm. Until now, over time, of you know, a long years later, a couple of decades later, I'm listening to it, I'm like, I can appreciate it and not really care about the way they looked. And I have now discovered three days. And that song wow. to me is amazing. And wow. I have listened to it over and over and over again. I wouldn't say it's changed my life, but it definitely added to my life in the music. Oh, a great song! Oh, Chris, I
1: feel like I've done a public service for you. (laughs) Well, put it this way, it makes me feel good. I wouldn't have heard it
0: if you didn't mention that. So I love the fact that we do get on it because it does. Even me, Mm. I hear things I don't normally listen to, and I love it. So yeah, I thank you for for bringing it up. But addiction, give it a go. That song is just amazing.
1: Thank you, and you. (laughs) My cool thing for the week. (laughs) Okay, then. Look, I'm going to go for a movie. I'm actually going to go for a movie this time for mm-hmm. my cool thing. Um, I have been basically I've been trying to find movies by the director Brian De Palma, an American filmmaker, and uh, I watched an old one of his called Carlito's Way with uh, Al Pacino and Sean Penn because mm-hmm. I kind of have to watch movies basically episodically because I'm always getting called. I get two minutes into a movie, Dan, Dan, from everyone. Brian De
0: Palma, is he part of the... Um, Ron
1: Howard? No. No, Brian De Palma was sort of in the league of um, Spielberg, Lucas, Francis Coppola. Right. They all came out at the same time, the early 70s. Brian De Palma's um, The Untouchables is one of oh, his films, right. which is one of the greatest movies ever made. Um, he made Scarface yep. and uh, made Carrie, the first one of them. He's made some really cool films. He's also made some real crap ones. But he's made some very cool films. And Carlito's Way is pretty damn cool. So why have you chosen him, specifically? Well, I've because no one talks about him in the same um, sentence as Francis Coppola and, oh. and, and Spielberg and such. Yet he was definitely one of their contemporaries, and they were all friends. Um, Brian De Palma was the guy who basically told George Lucas that after he showed them all a rough cut of Star Wars, the story is that it was Brian De Palma who said to him, this thing makes no sense.
0: Yes.
1: This movie makes no sense. I don't know what you're doing. No one cares. You know, you start with two droids in a spaceship and then they land on a planet and then they get, you, I don't know who the main character is or anything like that. And he was the one who said, you got it. The, the opening scroll of Star Wars, that was apparently, Brian. He, it was Brian De Palma's idea to say you've got to kind of have some sort of thing at the start of the movie to tell people oh. what's happening. Why? Why do I care? Why am I invested in this film? So, so you don't
0: read the beginning scroll. You yeah, don't know if, what's you th- going on. if you think
1: about it, yeah, and no, it's probably mm-hmm. true. But Brian De Palma is also a guy who definitely made films very much his own way, very unique style. Really good with the one long take shots. Um, a movie called Snake Eyes is a great opening shot. It's all done in one take. Mm. Um, yeah, he, he's, and he used to use split screen. I've been watching a few things of his. There's one I'm trying to get called Phantom of the Paradise, which came out the year before Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, just lots of really cool film styles. Uh, probably maybe be accused of being style over substance, mm-hmm. uh, but you've got to remember the the untouchables That scene in the train station with the... Um, the pram going down the stairs oh, yeah, and yeah, the shootout is. around that. That's the kind of thing Brian De Palma can do very well. So when he's good, he's fantastic and um, when he's not so great, um, it, it can be a bit awful but yeah, right. that's my cool thing.
0: Cool. Well, we'll leave it there. Um, this is episode 3 of season 2 so thanks for joining us and um, please subscribe so tell your friends. Mm, tell your friends. And watch the Get On It during the week and uh, yeah, have a good week